Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are so many great things going on at Collective right now, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. You already know I'm Team Pumpkin, right? Uh, I said it for, first service like booed me for that. It's like, if you've been coming here for more than two weeks, you know, it's all pumpkin, everything. For you Apple people, we're just throwing you a bone on this one. There's no, it should just be pumpkin pie today. Um, hey, I want to start things off today by giving a shout out to the men and women who have signed up to go to Crucible and Liminal. As of today, we have 13 men and 13 women signed up for these retreats in November. So let's give it up for them. Uh, these are men and women who are owning their growth. These are men and women who are um, choosing to continue to battle um, the thoughts in their mind. They're taking a step further so they can break free from those lies and that baggage and that pain that's holding them back. These are men and women um, who are choosing to do what is a scary thing so that they don't stay stuck. And I'm really proud of them, and I want you guys to be proud of them as well. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give one more plug to Crucible and Liminal. Um, Just as a side note as well, like I'm not on the board for these things or anything like that. Um, I don't get kickbacks if people attend. I just so passionately believe in the work that's done there. Uh, My wife believes in the work that's done there. My staff and our overseers believe in the work that is done there. And these retreats have impacted our lives in huge ways, and we know that it can impact yours as well. And so Crucible is the men's retreat. It's from November 3rd to the 5th. It's in Virginia. Um, Like I said, we have 13 men currently attending from Collective, but we also have eight men that are staffing this weekend. And so what this means is that this is the best opportunity for you to go. I don't know if we'll ever send 20 plus people to this retreat in the future. And so if you are on the fence, if you're looking for something to kind of tilt you that way, that's what should do it. Um, You can sign up on the Church Center app. You click on, open up the app, click on coming up, click on the link for Crucible. Um, There is a financial cost for this. And so if that gets in the way of you going, we'll pay that, right? I don't want any barriers getting between you and the work that I think God is pushing you to do. Um, But like I said, week one, I'm gonna double down on this. Don't come up to me in the lobby and tell me that you want to sign up and then give me all the reasons you're not signing up, okay? There's a million reasons not to sign up. There's a million reasons every single week that get in the way of us reading our Bible or praying to God or taking next steps or, or trusting what God has for us. And so I know, I know there are reasons that make this very inconvenient. I get it. You don't need to tell me what they are. And so don't come up to me and tell me that you want to go, but, right? If you want to have a conversation about it, come up to me and tell me that you're going. Come up to me and tell me that you need financial assistance so we can take care of that for you. Come up to me and tell me that you've got some questions that you want me to answer. I'm not going to answer them anyways because it's all a secret anyways. So, but you can come and ask and I just won't tell you. Um, but men, going back to what we said in May when we did our Game Changers series, um, you need to keep working and you need to keep fighting and we need to be the men that God has called us to be. And I think this weekend really helps with that. And so um, I, I just challenge you, as always, to be a part of this weekend. Let's talk about liminal for a second. Liminal is the women's retreat. It's from November 17th to the 19th. It's essentially crucible. It's just with a different name. And so women, I'm challenging you the same way, right? I'm challenging you to heal. I'm challenging you to grow. I'm challenging you to do the scary work, uh, to do the good work so you can let go of so much of that baggage that you are carrying to do the hard work so you can continue to defeat those voices and that pain and those lies in your life. Uh, This is the last time I'm going to talk about it this fall. And so if you're like really uncomfortable right now, 
I won't say anything about it next week, but you should sign up. Uh, I do have one more big announcement that I want to share with you all today as we close out this series. At Collective, we talk a lot about mental health, and that's essentially what this series is. You know, I would theme this as a mental health series, and for the past year, I've been working with people in our church to create a resource to help others when it comes to their mental health. And so today, um, we are officially launching this really cool thing. Uh, Because of the generosity of a family in this church that just loves you all immensely, and with the intentionality of our finance team, we are starting a mental health fund to help people get started in therapy. Most insurances will help with that, right? Most insurances, if you do a little bit of work, if you do a little bit of digging, you can go to therapy and they will cover that. But not all insurances work that way. In fact, a lot of insurances are just really slow to catch up on how important it is for mental health to be a part of health insurance. And so we want to solve that problem. And so what you do is if you open up your church center app and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a button that will say mental health. It'll always be there. This will always be available for people at Collective. If you click on that link, the first thing that you will see are just a ton of resources. It'll be a list of counselors, people that we trust. There's counselors that go to this church, and so we vet them and we trust them. Um, There's going to be resources about, in the past, how we've talked about mental and emotional health, so you can dive into some of those past sermon series and stuff like that. And at the very bottom, there is a button that if you click on that and fill out the form, it is you saying, hey, I, I want to dig into this, and I need some help. And someone from Collective will follow up with you this week, and we'll talk about how we can help you get started and get going in therapy. Uh, and the reason we're announcing all this today is because as we close out this series, my hope uh, is that you are walking away with some wonderful tools from the Bible that will help you wage war with the thoughts that are in your mind. Um, but oftentimes when we end sermon series, all of us leave going, I just need a little bit more. Right? I need more incentive. I need more motivation. I need more help to keep going because a four-week series can help get like the ball rolling, but oftentimes we need to kind of step into that next lane in order for us to keep digging into these struggles that we're wrestling with. That's what Crucible and Liminal are all about. That's why we're encouraging people um, to wrestle with going to therapy. So what I'm saying is this. If this series is stirring something in your mind and in your soul, don't let that end as this series ends, okay? Keep going, keep pushing, keep waging war with those lies, and let us know as a church how we can help you in that. Is that cool? All right. So this week, Ray and I had uh, just the worst schedule because Ray is a teacher in FCPS, and there were parent-teacher conferences, right? If you've got kids in public school, you know what it was like this week, where it's like, my kid's going in at 12 this day and leaving at 2 this day, and this day it's three and a half early dismissal. They're not eating lunch, and it was just absolute anarchy in our house. And so this meant that our drop-off and pick-up schedules of both of our girls were just all over the place. And so every night before the girls went to bed, I would talk them through what the plan was for the next day, right? And I would tell Elise, Elise, Aunt Maggie is picking you up today. She's bringing you home. Dad will be there. He'll be on a Zoom meeting. And so once you get home, you got to get dressed in your ballet stuff because as soon as the meeting's over, he's going to bring you to ballet, Harper, dad is picking you up after school today, which I've never done until this week, and I'm going to bring you home, and so you'll have a chance to hang out and wait with Elise, and then we're all going to go bring her to dance. And every night after explaining the details, Harper, my five-year-old, would start asking, what about? Right? And this is her thing right now. What about if dad doesn't pick me up? I'm like, I'm dad. Dad is going to pick you up. Right? What, what about if Aunt Maggie forgets sister? What about if dance is closed? 
Right? She does this with everything right now, and it's really cute because most of the time the situations are kind of extreme. You know, what about if a dinosaur eats my lunch? Or right now, it's what about if it snows? Like, she is all about winter. <laughs> She's ready for it. But sometimes our five-year-old asks serious questions and just say, what about if they don't like me? What about if sister gets hurt? What about if I'm all alone? Over the past few weeks, we've been attacking the thoughts that are holding us hostage, thoughts of fear and anxiety, insecurity, distrust, self-deprecation. And we've been talking about how most of life's battles are won or lost in our minds. And as we close things out today, I wanna talk about the really heavy topic of worry. The word worry comes from the German word vergen, which means to strangle. And for those of you who struggle with anxiety or worry, you would probably agree that's exactly what it feels like. Right? Worry strangles our peace, worry strangles our joy, worry strangles our comfort. It strangles our emotions and our vulnerability and our thoughts. The Bible says this in Proverbs 12, 25, it says that worry weighs a person down. And so if it's true that our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, this can be a problem when our minds race with irrational worries. These unfounded thoughts and runaway fears that often just consume our minds. The whatabouts. Right? What about if I lose my job? What about if he cheats on me? What about if I get sick? These intrusive thoughts that send our minds sprinting in the wrong direction. Right? All day and all night. You watch what's on the news. You hear what happens in the life of someone that you love. You're fighting for a good marriage, wondering if it's ever going to happen. You got more bills than you know how to pay. You're trying to make some kind of big decision about your future. And the world we live in thrives on whatabouts, doesn't it? This is why it's so much easier for us to default to a place of worry and anxiety. Well, tightening up. This sermon yesterday, I was watching college football, and I just wrote down a few of the things I heard during commercials yesterday. The first one that caught my attention was toxic metal found in baby food. Join us at five to find out more. There was another one that said, could we, could we be headed for another world war? Hear what the experts say. And then my, my favorite, will DC get the fall foliage or be left without a fall favorite? And I was like, how are we worrying about this right now? <laughs> but that's what pulled me away to realize that they are turning leaves, turning colors into something that they want us to sit and feel anxiety about. The world we live in thrives on the whatabouts. And it's so easy for our mind to race and to be overwhelmed with the very real feelings of worry and anxiety. And so the question is, what do we do? How do we fight those things? How do we battle those things? Just like we've talked about the last few weeks, let's look at what Paul says about this. And just as a reminder, Paul wrote this, uh, or wrote what we were about to read while he was in a Roman prison. He knows a thing or two about worry. He's living in a constant state of not knowing if or when he will ever be released. He doesn't know if he's going to get another meal. He doesn't know if the people that he cares about, the people that he loves, he doesn't know if they're also getting arrested and beaten like he was. He doesn't know if he will leave that place alive. But in the midst of everything that's going on in his life, this is what he writes in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything. Now, really quickly, the Greek for the word worry here is merimnao, which also translates to anxious. And so depending on what translation of the Bible you are reading, it could have just said, don't be anxious about anything. So what Paul is telling this church is, hey, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. And for some of you who grew up in the church, when they talked about worry, that's probably where they stopped. It was don't worry, don't be anxious. So let me just say this really quickly. Anxiety in and of itself isn't sin. 
Right? Feeling anxious isn't sin. I would argue that Jesus battled anxiety on his way to the cross. He said this in Matthew 26, 38. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And so let me just say this loud and clear. And some of you are battling already that lie that you were told that this is a sinful thing to feel worried or feel anxiety. And so my hope is that this is a truth that you hold on to. So let me say this loud and clear. Anxiety isn't sin. Right? Feeling worry doesn't mean you are walking outside of alignment with what God wants for your life. But anxiety and worry, when unchecked, and we choose to do nothing about them, they will come out sideways, and that will lead to sin. And so as we talk about worry and anxiety today, I need everyone to understand that it's okay to feel worry, and it's okay to feel anxious. Like Anxiety and worry are just signals in our brain telling us that something is off. But what is not okay is doing nothing about it. What is not okay is letting those thoughts push forward these lies that we believe or push into our fears or rewire our brains, creating new neural pathways based on worry, which ultimately pulls us away from God's truth. And so in this series, we've been talking about both scripture and science because God is a God of science. God and science are not in competition with each other. Science and scripture are not in competition with each other. And if you truly dig into both, you will see that science and psychology support and back up what is written in the Bible. And so we're going to talk about worry and anxiety from both of these filters today, and we're going to talk about the mind. So worry can come from both nature and nurture, meaning some of you struggle with anxiety because you are genetically predisposed to it. But for others, it's a learned emotion that comes from the good and bad experiences of life. Like we talked about last week, worry is a cognitive bias. Right? It is a filter that we put up based on what we've been through in our lives. Now, here's an example of how this works out. In our mind, there is this little almond-shaped portion of our brain known as the amygdala. Right? The amygdala is the part of our brain that is wired for survival. My, my wife taught me this week that in education, they call this your downstairs brain. Right? Your downstairs brain is instinct-based, and you often do not have control over it. And so if you ever find yourself in a moment where you feel like you need to fight or flight or freeze, this is because your amygdala is actively engaged. Now, when healthy, this is a good thing because it triggers our flight or flight response when we are in danger. When unhealthy, though, this can be a bad thing because it triggers our fight or flight when we are not in danger, but our brain tries to tell us that we are. And what it does is when it gets to that point, it sends a strong dose of adrenaline, and it says, be on guard, be aware, be alert, run if you have to. And so if you're driving and the person next to you isn't paying attention, they swerve into your lane. Your amygdala kicks in and says, watch out. You know, swerve, hit the brakes, get out of the way, don't get hit by that car. If you have an alarm system in your home and it goes off in the middle of the night, your amygdala kicks in and begins to tell you something isn't right here. And so God gave us this portion of our brain for protection, the problem with the amygdala is that it is not objective. It is simply hardwired to protect, and it is very easily triggered. And most of the time, it is irrational. Right? This is why when you see a spider, your amygdala says, burn your house to the ground. Right? That is not a reasonable response, but it's saying, like, you've got to do something about this. Right? And because of this, this is why um, our amygdala needs a little bit of help. And so God gave us something called a prefrontal cortex. Right? This is your upstairs brain. This is the part of your brain that thinks logically. And so if there's a noise in your house at night, your amygdala screams, you're going to die. But your prefrontal cortex says, hold on one second, it's probably just the cat. Right? Everything is going to be okay. There's an explanation for this. Like The amygdala is all panic. The prefrontal cortex is all logic. And so the problem with the amygdala is it always responds out of pre-programming. 
out of what you've been through in your life, what the world is telling, what truth you believe. And so I don't know what it could be in your life, but because of some hurt or some fear or some trauma or even perhaps just a misunderstanding that something has happened to you, and my guess is there are certain people or places or events or some types of news that trigger your feelings of anxiety and fear and tension. Without even knowing it, your mind can race and run toward the worst case scenario where you find yourself short of breath or panicking or just wandering, lost in your thoughts or trying to control something that you know you can't control. And our brains do this because our amygdala is trying to protect us whether we need protection or not. And so when you feel completely overwhelmed by a runaway mind, this is what Paul says. Let's read this again. Philippians 4, 6, he says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about your future. Don't worry about those things that are out of your control. Don't worry about what those people think about you. Don't worry about the big test, the job interview, your health situation, your financial burden. Ultimately, what he's saying is do not let your downstairs brain rule your thoughts. But he doesn't just stop there. Here's what else he says. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, really important word here, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So what Paul is telling us, he says, instead of allowing worry to overcome us, we need to pray about it. Pray about everything, every single situation, because he understands that God cares more about us than we could ever imagine. And so if you are struggling with worry, Paul says, you pray. And what Paul is doing here is he's teaching us to change our thinking. He's teaching us to create new neural pathways, to create new, new filters. He's teaching us to think from our upstairs brain, our prefrontal cortex, our logical thoughts to remind us that when we feel anxious, we go to God. And so when worry is making your thoughts run wild, don't allow them to take over. Don't allow things to go sideways. Because remember, anxiety and worry are signals telling us something's off. Paul says you stop and you pray. You stop and you tell God what you are struggling with. You, you stop and thank God for all the good things he has done in your life. You stop and thank God, like we talked about last week, for what didn't happen to you. And it's so crazy to me how often we undervalue the power of prayer. You, you see this all the time. People will be in a cer certain situation. They've exhausted all efforts. They get to the very end, and they say, all we can do now is pray. Right? That's the last thing we can do. All we can do now is pray. And I can almost imagine God going, and you think that's nothing. The God who can move mountains, the God who could raise the dead, the God who could heal the sick and walk on water, and all that we can do is pray to him. Prayer is powerful. And as followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that prayer is never the last line of defense. It's always our first line of offense. It's the first thing that we can do when we are starting to feel this way. And check this out. This is amazing. Not only does prayer move the heart of God, but prayer changes the chemistry in our brain. Let me say that again. Not only does prayer touch and move the heart of God, prayer also changes the chemistry in our brain. For decades, neurologists believed that your brain didn't change after adolescence, right? Like once you were a teenager, it didn't change ever again. Now, how many of you are glad that your brain changed as you got older, okay? The idea of being stuck as a teenager is terrible. Like, I don't know about you. I thank God every day that I don't think the way teenage Michael did. Teenage Michael was a mess. Here's proof of that. I don't know, I don't know what's going on. You guys think I'm aggressive and forward now. Imagine this version of Michael. And so, you can take that away. We don't need to keep looking at that. You don't need pictures of it. <laughs> you guys don't take notes and all of a sudden you're like snapping. <laughs> right? and so, so neurologists have found that our brains are constantly evolving and they're continuing to rewire themselves. Right? We talked about this, new neural pathways. Our brains are continually changing. 
In fact, it's called neuroplasticity. And it means that our brains are constantly evolving, constantly changing, constantly rewiring themselves. And this is a really good thing. Now, taking this a step further, though, there's something called neurotheology or spiritual neuroscience, and it's a study of the relationship of the brain and belief in God. And here's what research shows. Research shows that prayer actually changes our brains. Dr. Carolyn Leaf wrote in her book, Switch on Your Brain, that it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brains to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. 12 minutes, eight weeks. And what they will notice is that brains get healthier because they are rewiring themselves in a good way. And so not only does prayer change the heart of God, but prayer changes the brain in the same way that toxic thoughts and hurtful thoughts harm our brain. Science says that prayer heals our brain. It transforms our brain. It literally renews our mind. And when we go to God in prayer... This is what the Bible says will happen, right? Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then verse seven, he says this, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And that peace, his peace, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When you are struggling with worry and you go to God, the result of that is peace. And not the world's understanding of peace, but God's peace, a peace that transcends anything that we can fathom on our own, a peace that will guard our hearts and guard our minds. And isn't this what we want when anxiety takes over, when worry takes over? That's what we're longing for is peace. And so the question is, why do we worry? Why do we find ourselves so anxious? If you are a follower of Jesus, you're told that we're supposed to completely trust in him, then why is it that our minds often race in this irrational way? Well, science would tell us that in many cases, it's because we're experiencing an amygdala hijack. The little amygdala that's wired to protect us, that is a good part of our brain, says you're in trouble, you better take control, you better work harder, you better stay up till two o'clock in the morning, because if you don't, then this problem won't go away. And science says we're experiencing this amygdala hijack, but scripture would say that it's because our mind is dominated by wrong thinking, by lies. In fact, a simple definition of worry is this. Worry is distrusting the promises and the power of God. Worry is believing the lies over God's truth. And when we let worry take over and things go sideways, we start to say, God, I don't trust you. I don't believe in your goodness in this situation. I don't believe that you care about me. I don't believe that you can do anything for me. I don't believe that you can bring me peace. And that is the battle that we have to fight every single day when it comes to worry and anxiety. So instead of letting our, long, our wrong thinking take control, which is what so easily can happen, what we want to do is we want to choose to let God direct our thoughts. We want to let God and Scripture guide our thinking. The problem, though, what we typically do is we take our worry, we take our concern, we take our burdens, and we'll give them to God. And we say, God, I'm giving this to you. God, I trust you with my worry. Then we wait about two or three minutes, and then nothing changes. And then we get freaked out, and we begin to worry more because it's been five minutes and nothing has changed. And then what we do with God is we actually take it back and we say, God, I don't really trust you with this thing. And symbolically, what we're doing is we're letting worry take over and we're choosing to keep worrying because we're saying, God, I'm gonna pray about this, but you didn't handle this as quickly as I want you to, so I'm taking this back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in control of this, not you, I, I'm taking this. And we do this because we believe that God is too small and our worries are too big, which we know the opposite is what is true. And so what we have to do to win the war in our mind when it comes to worry and anxiety is we have to take whatever is weighing us down, whatever is burdening us, whatever is dominating our minds, and we have to just completely let it go to God. We have to release it to him. 
Psalm 55, 22 says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Paul continues in Philippians 4, we read this a few weeks ago, and he says this, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Then right after it, he says this, then the God of peace will be with you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to let the logical part of our brain choose which is spiritual. We're going to take our prefrontal cortex, our logical thought, and we're going to say, you think on what is true. You think on what is good. You think on what is excellent. You think on what is praiseworthy. You think about God and his promises. And when we choose to do that, we experience peace. When your mind is racing and you find yourself worrying about something, what I want you to do is I just want you to take it to God. It might be your teenager or your marriage, your future, your health, your job. What you're going to do is you're going to cast your cares on God because he loves you unconditionally. You stop and you pray. You stop and you read the Bible. You stop and you worship. You give it to God and you trust him with it. But then what I want you to do after that is I want you just to go on living your life, trusting that God cares about you. Now, if you ask me, What is it that worries me? I've got all different worries that burden my heart. And so here's some of what I worry about. Um, I love my wife so much. I don't know who I would be or where I would be without her. And sometimes when she's running late, my mind starts to go nuts. I begin to wonder, is she okay? Did something happen to her? Did she get in a car accident? Is this a taken scenario where someone took her and I'm gonna have to go kill a bunch of people to find her? Right? I think, like, what would I do without her? Like, could I function? I couldn't lead this church. I definitely don't know how to raise our two girls. But do you know what happens when I'm worrying about my wife? I've never done this before. I've never gone to God. Not, not one time have I stopped and prayed. Do you know what I do? I pick up my iPhone, and I do find my phone, and I figure out where she is. And what I do is I obsess over that little blue dot, trying to figure out which way is she going, and is she almost home. I, I obsess over something that I have no control over. The same is true with my children. I can't tell you how many times I drop off my kids at school and I just sit in my truck thinking about all the things that could go wrong. You know, do they have friends? Are they good friends to other people? Are, are they safe? Another thing that weighs on me is just the spiritual responsibility of leading this church. It's so easy in our culture today to accidentally or unintentionally say something or do something that creates some sort of controversy or or tension in the church. And I'm always aware that I'm representing God and what I do matters. And because of that, I worry. I don't want to let God down. I don't want to hurt the name of Jesus. I don't want people in this church to think that the church isn't the most amazing thing that God ever gifted to us. And I lose sleep over this. Every Saturday night, I lose sleep over this. These are my worries that steal my peace. And so what do I personally need to do? I need to give my worries to God. I need to turn my thoughts on what is true. I trust God. He's good. He's always faithful. He loves me and wants what's best for me. Now, I know, though, that there are people that are here that are a little bit more cynical when it comes to this stuff, specifically this idea of trusting God and just, you know, you pray about these things. And and I know some of you are thinking um, that's irresponsible. You're just living in denial. You have to do more than that. All you're going to do is pray and trust God. So let let me put it like this, and I learned this from Pastor Craig Rochelle, but I love it. He said this, the first step to living a worry-free life is to do what you can do. In other words, if you're going to have an exam, you're not just going to trust God to give you a good grade. What are you going to do? You're going to study. 
You're going you're to do the hard work. You're going you're to put in the effort. You're going to put in the energy. If you want to have a better marriage, you're not just going to pray about having a better marriage. Yes, you should be doing that every single day, but you are also going to read your Bible. You're going to choose vulnerability with your spouse. You're going to do the hard work to heal from the past baggage that you brought into that relationship. If you want to have better mental health, you're going to prioritize, prioritize sleep. Studies have found that one of the most impactful things on whether you have good or bad mental health is whether or not we're actually making sleep a priority. So you prioritize it. You go to therapy. You find healthy community that will push you to keep doing the hard work. You lean into your faith. You do what you can do. And the second step is this, is you give to God what you can't do. Right? So you're going to give to God what you can't do. If you can't do something, you're just going to trust it to him. You can't control other people. And so you just give that to God. You can't control the outcomes of certain conversations, so you just give it to God. You cannot control the state of the world as much as you want to, as much as you think posting those things on social media can have some sort of impact on this world. They, they won't. They can't. You cannot control the state of this world, so you give it to God. And the third step is that you are going to trust God no matter what. Because of who he is, because of his character, because of his nature, because of what you've already seen him do in your life, because of the truth that you read about in Scripture. Right? We are going to trust God no matter what. And so when I feel worried, I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to give to God what I can't do. That's casting my cares upon him. And because of his goodness and his promises and his faithfulness, I'm going to trust God no matter what. Right? No, no matter what even though I can't see what this outcome will be. In week one, I asked a question to set a tone for this series, and so I wanna to finish today by asking it one more time. If your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, are you excited about the direction your thoughts are taking you? Do you are you excited about the path you are on, the journey you are on? Are you excited about the things that you believe and the impact that they have on your life? And if you are not, if you've been in that place where you know this isn't it, what we have to do is we have to call out the lies that are holding our thoughts hostage and we replace them with truth. Not just practical truth, but a spiritual truth from God because it is God's truth that truly sets us free. Like Paul said in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's pray. God, of all the topics for us to wrestle with in this series, Worry and anxiety might be the one that is the hardest to fight. God, because there's so many people I know in this room that have sat in a place of anxiety, have sat in a place of worry for years, just for years. And God, because of things they've gone through in their lives or things they've been told or um, even just the wrong way of thinking, this doesn't feel like a small battle. This feels like a war. So God, I just pray for everyone here who, who struggles with worry, who struggles with anxiety, who struggles with uh, this decision to fight or flight, every scenario they come across. God, I pray um, that this week as they run across those scenarios, um, that they pause. God, that they, they stop and they choose to pray, that they stop and they choose to cast their cares on you. God, that they stop and they choose to trust you. And God, you give us that peace that you promise us. God, we want that peace. We do not want to sit in a place of battling these thoughts for the rest of our lives. But God, help us have the courage and the strength and the energy to push back with your truth. Not the world's truth, not the world's desire for whatabouts, not the world's desire for fear that capitalizes financially even on our worries. 
but your truth and your peace. God, we thank you that you love us so much that we can give our burdens to you. God, we don't deserve that type of love for you from you. Oftentimes, the burdens that we have in our life are our fault, but you still take them from us when we, when we give them to you. So God, I pray this week we do that and we feel the peace uh, that you promised us in our hearts. God, we love you and thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen.